This is an Ion Annapolis bonus podcast. Hey, joining us on the phone today is a gentleman that I've been trying to speak with probably for about a month because I'm totally intrigued. It is Peter Schmidt, who is the CEO of an organization or a company called Profs and Pints, which has started a new event here in Annapolis at the Graduate Hotel called Profs and Pints. Welcome here. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. That's awesome. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, I am familiar with Profs and Pints, but I'm not sure everybody that's listening to us may be. But in a nutshell, I mean, can you explain what it is? So Profs and Pints is a social enterprise uh, for-profit company that operates largely like a nonprofit with nonprofit principles and mission and what have you. And it has a mission of democratizing access to higher learning and providing scholars with new audiences. I stage talks in bars, restaurants, cafes, hotels, nonprofit theaters, other venues. Uh, These are ticketed talks by college faculty members, current or former and uh, talks on a whole range of scholarly subjects covering philosophy, political science, art history, history, biology, you name it. I started the company in 2017 and have expanded to multiple cities and been staging, I've staged hundreds of talks, probably sold about 40,000 tickets at this point, which is about the enrollment of a large public university. Wow, that's ama- that's amazing. So this is something that you started. This is not a, um, I don't want to say a franchisee type thing, but it's, I mean, this is just an, an idea that you came up with? Yes, this is something I bootstrapped um, myself based on my uh, experience as an education writer. I spent 21 years at the Chronicle of Higher Education covering academic freedom, academic labor, college access, things like that. And from working at the Chronicle, I knew a lot of people were not going to college because they couldn't afford it or were dropping out because they were having trouble affording it or they were going to college and studying not what they're passionate about, but what would pay off the loans because those loans are a a pretty considerable thing to carry through life. Sure. Um, I also knew about 75% of the academic workforce is off the tenure track. Uh, About 50% are part-time adjuncts who, uh, unless they're lawyers or doctors, teaching a class on the side because they like to work with young people, are having trouble making a living. Uh, somebody who's trying to make a living as an adjunct teaching history or philosophy or what have you often is running from college to college and lucky to make a working class living. So a light bulb went off over my head. I thought, might we be better off if we went back to something that was literally like the Socratic model where people were gathering around a scholar and paying him or her a few bucks to hear what they have to say. So the idea of Profs and Pints was born out of that. I approached a comedy club in Washington, D.C. Initially, uh, that, as you might imagine, is crowded on the weekends. But you know, looking at a few bar flies on a Sunday or a Monday or Tuesday night, threw the idea out to them, started staging talks there, and within a few months was having well over 100 people in the room. 
And uh, so I've since expanded to multiple other venues and other cities, college faculty members, current and former faculty members, scholars in general have really embraced this concept. Uh, they always enjoy these talks and, and working, seeing the general public. Um, the audiences are incredibly engaged. A lot of people miss college at some level. You know, they don't miss the all-nighters. They don't miss the tuition payments, but they miss being able to learn from someone. So I, I totally really see that. Up. I totally see that. And it's depressing to think that college professors that are, you know, on the adjunct tract and not the non-tenure tract are, are struggling like that. This is, so you're having a, a hundred people a night show up and I've got to imagine it's really good for a professor that is teaching on a, or I say teaching, but is speaking on a topic that they're passionate about. I mean, it's not necessarily teaching to a syllabus that they've designed, which may or may not be their passion. I mean, typically I would imagine this is their passion. Yeah, it's it's typically their passion. And I mean, a lot of them speak about having like their um, greatest hit lecture or a lecture that they really enjoy giving or a few of them for that matter. So they're speaking about stuff they really care about and they're dealing with a very engaged audience. And, and I plead a little guilty to this myself, but you know, here in Washington, D.C., at the colleges and universities, you have, you know, kids whose families are paying fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year in tuition, who are showing up in class uh, glassy-eyed because they're trying to get through several courses at once, and uh, they're worried about their grades, and they might have been out carousing the night before, and you know they're really just kind of like trying to get through it. You know, some of these students are passionate, but it's a mixed bag. When these professors get up in one of my venues, everybody in the room really wants to be there. Everyone is hanging off every word they say. And um, a lot of really exciting things happen at these things. I mean, I've watched movements be born out of these talks where people from various nonprofits or Government agencies will come up and talk to each other, talk about coordinating their efforts. I mean, this is on everything. The classic example is I staged a talk on disaster relief. Uh, and there were people from various federal agencies dealing with disaster relief that had never talked to each other before. We started talking to each other after the Q&A and passing cards and talking about linking their efforts. I talked to people who said they've decided to go back to college as a result of hearing one of these talks or they've decided to get a graduate degree. You know, so, so I mean, a lot of exciting things happen uh, as a result of these. One of the talks I staged uh, was on the uh, Symposia of Ancient Greece, which were similar in a, in a way. I mean, people would get together and casually drink and uh, maybe seriously drink, I guess, and listen to what scholars had to say. And the speaker for that talk was an expert on um, social network analysis, the, the field that emerged after 9-11 where they were trying to track down who knew whom in terms of the terrorists involved. And she applied that technology to ancient Greece and charted how ideas spread 
all around the Mediterranean as a result of people getting together for parties of, you know, small parties, small gatherings where they discussed ideas and then went off and did it somewhere else, sometimes after jumping on a ship and, and going to a different port. So this is this is powerful stuff here. Yeah, no kidding. Now, when when we go to a props and pints, is this a a, a pure lecture where you've got you know a master standing in front of a of a class just going on and on and on for an hour, or is it more of a back and forth Q and A channel? Let's challenge each other type thing. Well, I'm I'm open in terms of format, and you know people go back and forth. Um, I would challenge the idea that uh, the speaker is just talking on and on. The ones that just get up and speak for 50 to 70 minutes are almost always giving a very engaging lecture, and then they do a Q&A after that. Um, typically, they have slides and videos and things like that. Uh, many of them are very funny. It can be a little challenging to... Uh, have a back and forth in the midst of a talk. Anybody who has ever been to a public meeting knows that they sometimes can resemble the old TV show Parks and Recreation, where somebody will grab the grab a microphone uh, at a at a public meeting, and you kind of wish they hadn't. <laughs> um, so uh, it's uh, so we have to you know take some steps to make sure that the thing proceeds along and people don't monopolize the discussion. But um, you know, generally they stay on track. The the Q and A afterwards, I find, is the most uh, effective way of making sure that the people who came there to learn from a professor are doing that. And there's plenty of animated discussion during the the Q and A session. That's awesome. That is. Uh, that that is really awesome, and and I you know obviously you've said that the participants the the attendees uh, are lifelong learners. They're anxious to learn, and obviously they're engaged. And are the professors and the professionals as equally engaged? I mean, is this something that they just really thrive on? Absolutely. I have kind of a bullpen of stars who come back and do it again and again and again, and really enjoy it. I don't think I've ever had a professor say they didn't. Some are better than others. I mean, there's a degree of self-selection in terms of the people who speak for me. Uh, somebody who hates to teach or just wants to do research or is not comfortable being in public is not going to approach me or otherwise agree to give a talk in a crowded room. It's just not their disposition to do that. Usually they're into the concept if they agree to do it in the first place. And, you know, with a very few exceptions, a nervous speaker, things like that, they're almost always good to excellent at it. Some of them are more entertaining than a lot of comedians I've seen. And, uh, you know, no, they're, they're, they're great. They have the room very charged up and, and hanging on every word. Now, are all your professors, are they, uh, I'm going to say regional, I mean, you're, you've got, you know, these programs going on in cities all over the place, but I mean, are they regional to the cities where they are? I mean, okay, you're here in Annapolis, so I mean, I would presume that there's University of Maryland, there might be Hopkins, or maybe St. John's, or the Naval Academy, or, or something along those lines, or are they traveling to do this, or could it be both? It's both. 
Now, to be clear, I am not paying for anybody's travel expenses, but like in a city like Washington, D.C., scholars travel through here all the time. And, you know, for example, uh, you know, I have some great speakers who are down in, you know, Charlottesville or the Shenandoah Valley who will make the few-hour drive to D.C., and they're so good that, you know, they'll have 150, 200 people in the room sometimes and basically, you know, collect a, a decent payment for a weekend in Washington or it's something they're doing while they're traveling through town to promote a book or go to an academic conference or something like that. Um, during the pandemic, the earlier days of it, I was a early adapter and I went online that gave me access to scholars all over the world, including England, Australia, what have you. And these people I'm hoping to recruit to come through town if they visit towns where I have a presence or I hope to expand to them eventually so that I can put them on stage wherever they are because many of them are excellent. That'd be amazing. I mean, if I'm a professor in London and just happen to be traveling in America one summer and I'm in D.C. to take an evening and, and have a discussion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, one of my cities is Nashville right now. Somebody wants to take a trip to Nashville and, you know, is thinking, okay, I can earn enough money to pay for my hotel and, you know, write off parts of this as a business expense. It's a great deal for them. Some of the hotels run staging talks will put people up for the night, too, if they travel there. So it's a, a chance for them to see Annapolis or some other city. That's fantastic. Well, what is the cost on on attending one of these? So I'm charging uh, $13.50 for an advanced ticket. You have to work into that, the service charges from the uh, ticket vendor, as well as of, sales of, tax. Of course, of course, of course. We've, we've got to pay the ticket vendor yeah. and we've got to pay the sales tax. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, people will say, you said thirteen fifty, and it was $15. You've cheated me. Um, the, the door tickets are 17 uh, regular or 15 if you have a student ID. I try to keep these talks as affordable as possible. I actually went four years before acknowledging inflation, but just raised the prices this month. But I, I try to keep this at a cost where it's akin to going out to a movie for the night. Um, you know, by the time you buy a, a movie ticket and a, a soda and popcorn and all that, you're getting up to close to the expense of going out to one of these discussions. Oh, absolutely. Even even then, I think tickets are, are are fifteen bucks for a movie, anyhow. And some of the movies I've seen in the last couple of years, I'd much rather be sitting in a bar with a beer and <laughs> listening to somebody talk about something that's just absolutely fascinating. I'm I'm looking on your website, which is profsandpints.com, and I mean you're in, in D.C., Annapolis, Boston, Chicago, Dallas, Detroit, Nashville, Philadelphia, and Richmond. That's that's a pretty big stable of cities. Yeah, I mean, some of those cities are dormant right now because they were thrown, uh, either because they were thrown off track by the pandemic and the talks were sta being staged in a hotel and the hotel industry is really just getting back on its feet very tremendously in terms of whether it can accommodate these things now. And others were cities where I've done pilots, but I'm hoping to return to. 
Boston is a classic example of that, but I'm hoping to get back to Boston very soon. I'm bootstrapping this thing, uh, and I'm hoping to scale it up and to get some investors and other people involved. But at the end of the day, you know, I can put in about a 70 or 80 hour a week to make this thing go, but I can't put in much more time than that. So I'm having to find time to revive in some of the cities where I had a presence before. But right now, I mean, I am staging talks in Annapolis, Richmond, Nashville, three venues in D.C., and I'll start staging talks in Charlottesville in February. And then I'm looking to expand to some other cities in the short term. Uh, Detroit is on temporary pause, but I think I'll be staging talks in the metro Detroit area again within a month or two. That's awesome. That's that's amazing. Now I'll tell you, you uh, you're you're looking obviously looking to expand and everything else. If anybody wants to attend one of these, I know that you've got you had a January thirty first one that sold out for Hamilton's History Remix here in Annapolis at the Graduate Hotel, and you put on an encore presentation that's coming up on February twenty first, right? Exactly. If you want to get, yep, t- and that is selling well. If anybody really wants to go to that, they should get their ticket fairly soon because that'll sell out within a week or two. Yeah, I would say, okay, so you want to go to profsandpints.com, and that's P-R-O-F-S-A-N-D-P-I-N-T-S.com, and check that out. Now, are, are just another question I had for you is, are these talks, these discussions that are happening all over the place, are they recorded or streamed, or is there a way to access them other than being in a bar or in a venue drinking a beer? No, I have kept the online talks and uh, the live events separate for several reasons. One, it interferes with my relationship with the venues. If people have an incentive not to come into the venue and buy a beer or a burger or whatever, they can skip being physically present. Makes sense. Uh, Another is it's just really tough to pull off uh, having somebody videotape a talk in a venue it gets in the way of the audience. You have people, you know, with cameras blocking everybody who's trying to see. And if you go to um, YouTube and look up videos uh, where somebody just operated a camera in the back of the room while somebody discussed something over a PowerPoint, they're really not that enjoyable to watch. And most of them have not had that many views. During the pandemic, I staged talks online using a platform called Crowdcast, and they were more like webinars. Many of the talks that I'm staging in venues, including this Hamilton talk, people can still call up the, the versions that were staged online uh, a year or two ago and watch. Um, but, you know, I was an early adapter in the pandemic, and as of May of 2020, I thought I was going to be, you know, rich from this. I mean, hundreds <laughs> of people were buying tickets. No, I mean, seriously, I, you know, I made $15,000 in a month. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And by September of 2020, demand had just absolutely crashed. Zoom fatigue is real. Oh, sure. And, yeah, people are just sick of seeing online events. And I think they're still sick of them. I haven't seen d- demand pick up. I joke, I'm not sure whether being sick of Zoom is like being sick of chocolate, which I get over within a week, or like being sick of tequila, which is a lifelong condition for a lot of folks. 
but um, a lot of people are just done with Zoom. They're not, and you know, they, they're going back to offices, but then they're still Zooming the person in the next cubicle. It's not like you know. It's it's you're you're so true because I mean, you sit there and you look and just whether it's anything, whether it be live music. I mean, I, you know, I, I yeah, I can watch any video I want of any band I want on on YouTube or wherever it may be, but it's not nearly the same as if I go and see that artist performing in a venue. And I got to think that, you know, certainly with a lecture, I mean, I, I, I feel sorry for these kids that had to do education through zoom with, you know, a professor just talking to a blank screen, but you see the emotion, you see the, the passion come through when you're live. That's the case. And there's some interesting research on uh, zoom uh, you know, just the experience of having somebody stare you directly in the eye without blinking while they talk to you. You know, there's some interesting psychological studies suggesting that, you know, that basically occurs when somebody's about to punch you in the nose. It's, there's, there's some sort of psychological distress, fight or flight stuff going on in your body when you're just staring at somebody staring out at you and speaking. So it's, it's, kind of a, an awkward way to be interacting with somebody. I agree. I, I did a couple stand-ins with the local public schools to, you know, talk to different classes. And I don't know how a professor would do that because most of the kids turned around and turned their cameras off. So it was just little red circles and colored circles and looked like a, a twister board that I was looking at. So you have no idea to gauge the interaction, no the engagement. I mean, am I... You know, I, I'm sure that one of your professors standing in front of a crowd of 100 people at the Graduate Hotel on the 21st will be able to look out and say, okay, they're getting it. They're here. They're with me, as opposed to, oh, I'm, I'm tanking. I need to <laughs> change something up. I mean, you're able to read that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're hearing people respond back to them, and they're hearing laughter, and, you know, they're fielding questions, and... You know, yeah, it's, it's a much more authentic interaction. That's great. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you, as we wrap up a little bit here, Peter, now, the next one up here in Annapolis is going to be on February 21st. It is selling out fairly quick. It is Hamilton's History Remix at the Graduate Hotel, and you can get tickets at profsandpints.com. How frequently do you have these talks? Or I guess it really depends on availability of professors and everything else as well. But If, if you're speaking specifically about Annapolis, I'm having them at about a once a month pace that might pick up um, as these crowds build and the talks become more popular. I mean, there's, there's such a thing as a, you know, there's a risk of diluting the crowds. If I stage them too frequently here in Washington, DC, which is a really good city for them. I'm operating in three venues and typically staging 10 to 15 talks a month on a range of different subjects. So uh, a lot just will depend on the size of the city, kind of the culture of the city, things like that. Now, I mean, there also are some limits to how many professors I can draw in a different city. As you might imagine, you know, finding professors living in Topeka, Kansas, uh, is going to be a different thing than being able to find professors in Boston or Washington, D.C. I mean, here in D.C. itself, I have well over a half dozen universities to draw from. I think it's, it's probably closer to a dozen, actually, if I get out into the suburbs. 
So it's a pretty long list of institutions I can recruit people from. This is a fantastic idea. This is a really fantastic idea. Thank you. Yeah, I really have hopes of this being in every mid-sized and large city and college town in the country. You know, early on in the beginning of this, a rich hedge fund guy said to me, I don't know whether you have a business or a movement. And I said, well, why can't I have both? But I'd like to just be breaking down the barriers between academe and society all over the country and have people getting excited about higher learning and supportive of higher learning institutions and you know, just going through life more, more thoughtfully, I guess. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, whatever I can do to help promote this Annapolis one. And uh, cause I mean, I would love to see this in every city and well, not really every city, but I mean, you know, I would love to see this thing absolutely explode because I think that humans as a, have a, have a desire for learning and some of it could be very mundane and, uh, you know, wrote, but others is they want to get into it. And uh, this is fabulous. Congratulations. But Props and Pints is where you want to go. Get the tickets. Check out the Hamilton remix February 21st if there's some tickets still left. And you can definitely check back with us. We're going to be making sure that we let everybody know about future. Um, what are they called? Are they called discussions, lectures, meetings? I call them talks, uh, lecture also works, although that seems to sometimes make them sound more boring than they are. But I just call them talks, discussions. Well, I will make sure that everybody knows about the talks and discussions that are coming up here in Annapolis, because that's kind of where we're focused. And I want to thank you so much for your time. But more than that, I want to thank you for coming up with this fabulous idea. I uh, you know, wish you all the best. And uh, I can't wait. Uh, I have not seen one, but I am going to go grab a ticket right now because you did tell me there are still a few left over for the February 21st one over at The Graduate on Hamilton's uh, History Remix. You'll enjoy it. Rick Bell is really, really good. And thank you for talking to me today. It's, it's been great to have a chance to discuss what Props and Pints is all about. This has been a bonus podcast from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at Ionanapolis. And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday.